faith. We talked about that a little bit last week, and I want to build us up a little bit more this week on faith and, and kind of how to handle our battles. And the title of tonight's message is this, Faith is Full of Peace. Faith is full of peace. And you notice that so many of the different uh, characteristics or, or different uh, things the Bible talks about, they work together so well. You can look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. All these things work together so well. You know, if you're full of love, then, I mean, then you're going to be a joyful person and you're going to have peace and whatnot. And when you're truly walking in faith, you've got the faith of God. Faith is full of peace. And you know, the, the Bible tells us that whatever isn't of faith is sin. And so a lot of times, you know, when I'm talking to someone and they're, they're trying to make decisions or look for direction, they want to make a, you know, a, a choice by faith. You know, the first thing I tell them is, well, are, do you have peace when you pray about this? Do you have peace whenever you're making this decision? Or do you feel pressured and do you feel shaken back and forth and like, you better make a decision right now? If, if that's the case, man, that's not peace. And, and that's, that's not faith because Faith and peace, they go together. Faith is full of peace. Now, sometimes God will stretch us out beyond, you know, what we're comfortable with. He'll stretch us out to higher levels and new levels. But inside, we have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you this. If you've ever lived your life for, for any time at all without having the peace of God, you can appreciate what it means to have the peace of God. Has anybody in here ever been through a season where it would just there was no peace? Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't have it. And I, I've been there, man. I wouldn't trade. I, man, I wouldn't go back there for any amount of money. I, you know, having the peace of God in your life is a priceless, priceless thing. Money can't buy peace. Have you have you noticed this? I mean, look at all the richest people in the world and all these crazy celebrities and these nuts we see down in Hollywood. They may have a billion dollars, but they can't buy peace with that. They, they, they it can't buy them what they truly want because only God Almighty can give us the peace which surpasses all understanding. And, and, and that verse in Philippians surpasses all understanding. It means the peace of God, it, it can't be understood. It just doesn't make any sense. How you can see somebody going through the biggest battle of their life, but they're cool, calm, and collected. They're not afraid. They're not shaken. They're not, they're not freaking out. They're just, everything's okay. I, I, I recognize that I'm fighting a battle right now. I don't deny that, but I'm okay. I'm going to come through in the end. God's going to take care of it. I'm at peace. And that can't be done without God. Money can't buy that. Fame can't buy that. Possessions and, and talent and, and intelligence, they can't buy that. That's something that only God can give. And I can tell you that there's nothing I want more than to have the peace of God in my life, man. That'll get you through everything. And so we're talking about faith and faith is absolutely full of peace. That's how I live my life, being guided by the Holy Spirit, being guided by the peace of God. He leads us with his peace. And if I don't have peace in a situation, I'm not going to make that. I'm not going to pull the trigger on that deal. I'm not going to do it if I don't have the peace of God inside of me. And so the first thing we're going to say tonight is this. Number one is that faith is full of peace because it knows that God is on your side. God is on your side. That's really, really good news tonight. If somebody were to come in and tell me, listen, I've got bad news. 
God is actually mad at you and he's against you. God is no longer on your side. Of course, I know that's a lie, but just, you know, for argument's sake, if if that was the true fact that God was no longer on my side, I mean, that would be really super bad news. Because if God's not on your side, you don't have a chance in this world. But if God is on your side, nothing can defeat you, not cancer, not anything else. You can win because God is on your side. And so let's look at a verse here tonight in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Romans 8 verse 31. Now, Romans 8 is a really great chapter of the Bible, especially you read the towards the end there. I used to carry back before we had, you know, smartphones with 600 translations in your pocket. I used to carry uh, a little Gideon's New Testament in my pocket everywhere I went. I worked at FedEx. And so we had to the FedEx in Indianapolis is the second largest FedEx hub in the world. There's like 6000 employees there. So we had to park on one side of the freeway, catch a shuttle bus all the way over here. And so I'd be sitting there waiting for the bus every morning. I mean, I just pull out my Bible and and I would read Romans eight, especially every day for a whole year. And Romans eight is a great chapter. If we had downtime and boxes weren't flying at me, I'd pull my Bible out and read for a minute. It was I mean, Romans eight. That's good stuff right there. But Romans. Verse 31 of the New King James Version says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is on your side. And so if he's on your side, who can fight against you? Who, who has a chance against you if God's on your side? I mean, no one, no one or no thing stands a chance against you because God is fighting for you. And so you can have peace to that situation. Now, tonight I want to look at uh, the, the main guy we're going to be looking at tonight is David in the book of First Samuel. And, you know, so you can start making your way there to First Samuel 17. But you know the story a little bit. Uh, the, the, the Israelite army, they'd come up against these guys called the Philistines. And the Philistines, they had uh, a descendant of Anak, as we read about in Joshua, Goliath of Gath who was over nine feet tall, and Goliath was a warrior, and he came out every day for 40 days and 40 nights and taunted the, the Israelite armies, you know, saying, hey, you know, if, let's bring me your best. I'll take any one of you. Your God's a loser. Your God's this. Your God's that. Let's see if your God can take me. And just coming out day after day, taunting, making fun of, trash-talking Israel and their God. And as we know the story, every day the, the, the soldiers came out and they didn't want it. They were terrified. They're like, man, this guy's huge. And he's, been a, he's, not, just, he's not just tall, he's a warrior. And you know, some, some really tall guys, they're clumsy and don't have their footing. Very, I played basketball with this dude. He was 6'8", but he's really clumsy. So I could like dribble between his legs and stuff. It was great. But, but listen to me. Goliath wasn't like that. He was one of those tall guys that was actually really agile and strong. And I mean, they said his vest, his bronze vest weighed like 125 pounds. He was just a pure muscle machine, nine foot tall disaster waiting to happen. And he had been, he had been a man of war since his youth, man. He had been just kicking behind and killing people since he was a teenager. And he was really good at it. And so he had a reputation, man. And so every day the Israelite army would come 
come out and here he is. All right, who wants some? Come on. And the grown men are, are running back to their tents, afraid, hiding. And so one day David rolls up, you know, a teenage boy. He's a teenager. He comes up to bring his brothers some food. You know, his dad sends him out with some food like, hey, take your brothers some food out there on the battlefield. And so he rolls up and he sees this tall guy making fun of God. And he's like, oh, no, no, not going to happen. So first Samuel 17, and we're going to look at verse 32, and you'll see that, I mean, you know, I'm willing to put up with some things, but I'm not willing to, to put up with someone defying God. I'm, I'm not going to go there. But First Samuel 17 and verse 32, so, so David rolls up and he sees this guy taunting and making fun of God and, and, and Israel. And David says, oh, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And so here's Saul. He's got trained warriors himself. He's got he's got everybody. And here comes a little teenage boy and says, oh, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll fight the giant since nobody else. Well, I've got this. And Saul is like, and you can read the next verse. He's like, don't be ridiculous. You. Oh, my gosh. Get out of here. And, you know, I mean, teenage kid is really annoying. He's like, get out of here, man. This isn't a place for kids. What is your problem? He'll he will kill you and probably use your bones as a toothpick, man. He, You don't stand a chance. Get out of here, man. Don't waste our time. And so so David, he, he's like, no, I've got this. I can do this. Just give me a chance. Put me in. Put me in, coach. I'll, I'll go in and I'll fight. I mean, what do we have to lose? Nobody else is going to step up to the plate. So look down at verse 37. And here's what he's saying. To Saul, he's arguing his way. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. God will do it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Saul finally considered, all right, go, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And so David, he's looking back. I mean, you could you could read this here. Uh, looking back on times that God's brought him through things. And we've got to do that, man. If you're facing the giant, you've got to look back and say, well, God brought me through this. And, and he brought me through this over here. And, and this one time the devil tried to take me out and God was on my side. What's a, you know, what's this Philistine? What's this giant? And so David, I mean... Seriously, David had some guts and you've got to get that about you. You've got to get some guts. You've got to get some courage on the inside of you where you're willing to stand up and fight for the right thing. Now, you know, the, the New Testament tells us to fight the good fight of faith. A lot of Christians think that stops after the first word. Fight. They're still going to go fight anybody and anything. Well, no, we're talking about fighting the good fight of faith. If something that comes against you, you know, is of the devil, man, be ready to fight. And so David, if, if a lion came and tried to attack some of his sheep, he'd go out there and barehand that dude and fight it, man. He'd take a rock. He'd take a stick. He would beat a lion with a stick. If a bear came out and tried to steal one of the sheep, he's like, no, 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 no. He'd run out there with rocks and sticks and everything else. And he was going after bears with sticks. That takes some guts right there. I'm telling you, to go after a bear and all you've got is a stick. Hello, I might, I'm talking to the right crowd tonight. I mean, seriously, fighting a bear with a stick. You are either an idiot or you have just got a lot of guts or both, whatever you are. But David was like, no, those are mine. You're not going to touch them. And so here he is, something even, even bigger, even stronger, even more intimidating than those bears and lions that he's fought before is coming out, not messing with the sheep, but messing with God and messing with his people. And he's like, no, I don't care who you are, where you're from, who you've killed. I am not going to let you talk like this. You're going to pay for this. And so he argues with the king 
And, and, and finally he says, all right, just go take a chance at it. May the Lord be with you because you're going to need it, little guy. You're really going to need it. And so he sends, he sends David out there. And David was confident through all this because he had the peace of God on the inside of it. He wasn't going to go out there if he thought he was going to lose. No, he, he, he really thought that he was going to win. He was really confident that he could take a giant, even though he'd never fought a giant before in his life. He probably didn't know anybody around there that fought a giant. They were all terrified of giants. That was like the worst thing that could happen to you is to face a giant. But here he was. He was like, I'm going to do this. God, I beat smaller things. I beat lions and tigers and bears and everything else. I can go out there and I can take this giant, man. I'm not afraid of this. He had the peace of God. And when you're confident that God is on your side, you can have peace even in the middle of the biggest problems you've ever faced in your life. If you're truly confident that God is on your side, the bigger one, I mean, giants are big, but God's bigger. I want God on my side. It's always good to have the big guy on your side. Now, I remember one night, um, I, several years ago, it was like probably 2008, I worked... Uh, I worked part-time nights at Barstow Towing. Anyway, so I go in there one night, and, and the other people, you know, the, some of the workers come in, they're like, hey, listen, listen, uh, there's a, an MMA fighter coming in here, and, and he broke down, and him, and, and, and they're towing his car in right now. If you get in here, you can meet him. I'm like, I was scheduled to work, so, so I go in there, and at the, I don't follow this stuff. I'm not against it. I'm just not into it. But this fighter named Tito Ortiz, who was the current champion at the time, he, he's standing there in the office when I get in, and we're waiting to tow his car down to Huntington Beach for him. And so, I mean, all these guys are gathering around, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take a picture with him or whatever. And, and so I go and stand next to this guy. And I've never, like, been next to a real fighter before. I mean, you know, I know little punks around Barstow and stuff. I'm kidding. But, you know, I'm talking about a real, legit fighter. And so this dude was massive. I mean, I've, his arms were like this. His neck was like... He had the biggest head I've ever seen, okay? He could have stood behind a telephone pole. He could have seen a foot ahead on either side. It was nuts. This guy was huge. And I, I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And so I go up and I'm like, hey, can I, let's, yeah, let's take a picture together. I should have brought the picture and put it on the screen. I've got a picture with him. But anyway, this guy was just huge. And all I could think of is, Man, I want to be on his good side. I don't, don't say anything dumb right now. Anything stupid pop into your mind. Keep your mouth shut. Take a picture. Get out of the way. And so, anyway, I'm just saying this. If I were to be in an altercation, if I were to just be, have someone picking on me and be in a fight, I would want Tito to be on my side. You know what I mean? I don't want to be against him. I want to be for him. Even if he's saying something I don't agree with, I'm on Tito's side because, man, Tito cannot, you know, whoo. Kick some butt. And so, so even if I want someone like him on my side in the fight, what's even better than having a trained professional fighter on your side is having God on your side. God is big. He's really, 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 really big. The book of Isaiah chapter 40 says that God's hands are so big, he holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. Can you imagine the size of that hand? No, you can't. You, you can't imagine that. The deepest part of the Pacific Ocean is either 37 or 39,000 feet deep. And God can hold that 
in the palm of his hand. All the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. Can you imagine a hand that big? It says he uses the mountains as stepping stones. He'd walk from one mountain to the next because he's that big. Listen, the one that is that big, that can hold the waters, that can stand on the mountains, that's God and he is on your side. If God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, why, why are we afraid? How can I not have peace knowing that somebody that big, somebody that great, somebody that big loves me and is my dad and he's on my side? I've got the peace of God knowing that he's got my back no matter what I face. He's going to get me through it. He's going to get me through it every single time. God is on our side. And because of that, we can have the peace of God. Now, there's a quote that I share every time I talk about peace. And it says this, peace consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Peace doesn't consist in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. And so a lot of people, they don't really know what peace is. They just think that that means you're happy and that there's no danger around you. So you're, you know, at a time of peace. They, you know, they say, is, is the country at a time of peace or at war? Well, we're not at war, so, so that means we're at a time of peace. Listen, you could be in the most safe, calm you know, room in the world, no danger around, no physical danger. But on the inside, you could be at the biggest war. You could be at war with yourself, at war with the world on the inside of you, even though there's no danger. I mean, you could have nice music playing, sitting on your couch. And, and at the same time, you don't have peace at all, man. You are at, at war on the inside because peace doesn't have anything to do with your physical, natural surroundings. Peace has to do with what's going on in the inside of your heart. At the same time, you could be a soldier in the middle of a battlefield with bullets whizzing past you, but on the inside of you, you have the peace of God knowing that everything's going to be okay because peace isn't about your physical, natural surroundings. It's about the condition of your heart and what's going on on the inside of you. So peace doesn't consist in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. And I can tell you this, that in God's presence, there is peace. Amen. You know, David said in your presence is fullness of joy. And I'll take it a step further and say in your presence, there is peace. And so I encourage you, man, whatever it takes to get into the presence of God in your life, do it. Money can't buy this. You can't pay pastor to get into the presence of God and, and bring peace to your life. You can't, you know, just go off of somebody else's experience. You need to every day. Get in to the presence of God. And that doesn't happen by, you know, not ever talking to God, not ever reading your Bible. It doesn't happen by chance or accident. You get into God's presence by making time to get into God's presence. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is talk to God. I don't talk to anybody before I talk to God. He gets first shot at me. You know, I won't check email. I won't check the weather. I won't, you know, anything. No one mess with me or talk to me until I talk to God. He gets the first chance at me every single day because, hey, man, I need his presence in my life. And I can tell if there's a morning that I don't have my God time. Oh, man, I can tell I want my time with God and I want his presence every single day. So faith is full of peace because it knows that God is on your side. And number two, it's full of peace because God is bigger than any problem. God is bigger than any problem 
that we face. That gives me peace right there. Knowing that no matter what it is that comes against me, God is bigger. God is stronger. God, God has enough money. God has enough healing. God has enough peace and joy and, and everything. God's got enough, man. That, that's all I need to know. I've got the peace of God because of that. And so as we said, Goliath was over nine feet tall. And David, I'm guessing he wasn't even six foot tall. I mean, he probably, he was probably five and a half foot tall or something. I don't know exactly how big he was, but he wasn't anywhere near nine feet tall. And so listen, sometimes your problems are bigger than you are, but they're not bigger than God. Your problems are bigger than you, but they're not bigger than God. And if David went out there in the name of David to fight the giant, man, he would have got his butt kicked, man. They would have, they would have carried him off of the, they would have carried him off the battlefield on a stretcher or something. He, he would have been no chance in the world. And sometimes we're facing big problems and we're trying to do it all in our own strength and our own intelligence and our own might and our own ability. And you weren't called to fight that way. You were not called to fight natural battles in your own, in your own terms, in your own way. It doesn't say be strong in yourself and in the power of your might. It says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So your problems, they can be bigger than you, but they're not bigger than God. And so you have got a chance. Now, I heard a quote that I like from Charles Swindoll. He said, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. He said, every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as huge problems. Every day we encounter opportunities disguised as problems. And so David didn't see a great big giant. He's like, this is a huge opportunity. This is golden, man. This is golden. If I go out there and beat a little person, no one's going to care. You know what I mean? No one's going to care if I come back and say, hey, everybody, I beat up a 12 year old. You know, I got this under control. But if you go out there and you can come back from battle saying, listen, I just killed a nine foot tall giant. Listen, here's his head. And we know David cut his head off and carried it around for a while. That's pretty cool. Anyway, and so, so David, I mean, if you beat up a little 12-year-old midget or something, nobody, that doesn't impress anybody. That's not going to intimidate or scare any of your enemies. But David knew, listen, if I can beat this giant, if I can, if I can take down this nine-foot-tall warrior, every other nation around here is going to be terrified of us. We're going to, no one's going to mess with us anymore. We're going to have the most golden opportunity we have ever seen in our lives. And so sometimes you may have a giant problem come against you, and you could say, oh boy, man, this is a giant. I've never faced a giant. What am I going to do? Or you could say, oh my gosh, this is great. This is awesome news because when I beat this problem, man, I'm going to have the biggest testimony in this whole world. Everybody's going to want to listen to the good news that I've got to say. People are going to want to hear about Jesus and I'm going to go tell everybody everywhere that God healed me, that God brought in the money, that God brought my kids back, that God did this. And so how do you look at your situation? Do you see it as a giant catastrophe or do you see it as a golden opportunity like David did to go take down a giant? and go and press everybody and say, listen, I beat a giant. I beat a giant. How do you look at your situation? Let me show you. Hold your place in 1 Samuel 17. Look at John 16, verse 33. John 16, 33. Let's look at what Jesus had to say here. John 16, verse 33. And so Jesus, here's a guy that knew about big problems. 
You think Jesus never faced anything? Man, he had people coming against him every day. They were trying to throw rocks at him and everything, man. He, was, he always had someone against him. But John chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 33. And so Jesus, man, he's, he's, he's always trying to warn the disciples about, listen, it's coming, all right? The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to die. Three days later, he's going to come back. They're saying, no, no, that's never going to happen. Anyway, so Jesus, look at John 16, 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. That's, that's the key right there, in me. Jesus said, you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He said, listen, you're going to face stuff in this world, but that's no problem because I've overcome the world. Whatever this world throws at you, I'm bigger than it. I'm greater than it. So when things come against you, take heart. Be of good cheer. Have peace in me because I have overcome this world. That's good news right there. That Jesus has overcome the world. Where would we be if Jesus didn't overcome the world? Where would we be if Jesus didn't defeat death? Where would we be if Jesus didn't take those stripes on his back? If Jesus didn't come, what if Jesus had given up on that last hour when he said, told, told the disciples, everybody else, listen, I could ask God to bring in angels and take me out right now. I don't have to go through with this. What if Jesus, at that final hour when he was praying, what if he didn't, what if he said, God, you know what, I know what's coming, I don't want to do this. You know what? I'm, bring the angels in. I'm out of here and find somebody else. What if Jesus didn't have the guts to go through what he went through? Where would we be? You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to have the peace, the joy, the provision, the healing, but especially the salvation that he's brought to us. What if Jesus didn't pay the price? And you know what? When he went through that moment, when he went through the beating and everything else, man, there was such turmoil inside of him. He paid the price. For our peace. That means he went through a moment with no peace. He went through and he said, remember what he said to God, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, why have you forsaken me at this hour? God took himself away from Jesus for a minute. They separated for a minute. So, so Jesus could pay the price so you could have peace. Man, I am so thankful for Jesus that he sacrificed and went through stuff so I can have the blessings. That's what a good parent always does. They sacrifice for their kids. You know, they, they do without so their kids can do with. And, and that's just what Jesus did. That's what God did when they went through this whole thing. He went without so we could have something, so we could have the peace of God. And Jesus said, listen, you're going to have some troubles in this world. You're going to have some trials at different times. But be of good cheer, take heart, because I have overcome this world. You've got a chance if you'll just stick with me. You can have peace because of me. So God is on our side, and God is bigger than our problems. We've got to focus on how big God is, not on how big the troubles are. I read a really interesting statistic that I'd like to share with you. And just just follow me on this. According to the Bureau of Standards in Washington... A dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet. So seven city blocks, 100 feet of fog, is composed of less than one glass of water. Like what? The amount of water is divided into about 60 billion tiny droplets. Yet when those tiny particles settle over a city, they can almost blot out everything from your sight. And many Christians today live their lives in a fog 
And it boils down to just a cup full of troubles. Just a cup full of troubles and they let it blind everything about them. They're living their lives in a fog because they're not focusing on the one who can break that away. And when you were to break it all down and put it all back into place, you've just got a little cup full of troubles. But you're sitting here worrying about all that and you can't even see the day around you. You can't even see the Savior because you're focusing on all this. It's so foggy because you don't have the peace of God. Listen, the peace of God rips right through that fog. The peace of God breaks everything, puts everything back into perspective and says, yes, there's lots of troubles. Yes, there's lots of things coming against me, but it's not that big. God's a lot bigger. I've got the peace of God because Jesus said to take heart because I have overcome this world. Look with me at Psalm 91. Psalm 91. We're going to go here. Psalm 91. This is something that you've got to know. Psalm 91. Now, this is one of probably the most, I would say one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. But Psalm 91, verses 9 through 11, and Moses actually wrote Psalm 91. And, uh, and uh, it just talks about, man, the overcoming and the protection that, that God gives us if we stick close to him. And you see that throughout all of Psalm 91, if you'll make the most high your shelter, if you'll draw near to God, and all this stuff. But Psalm 91 Verses 9 through 11. Psalm 91, verses 9 through 11, it says, If you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. Oh man, I, I want to say that every day. I'm making the Most High my shelter. God is my refuge. No evil is going to conquer me or my family. I mean, there may be evil all over this world right now, but God is my shelter. It is not going to conquer me. It is not going to conquer my wife and kids. Evil will not conquer me because God's on my side. I like the next part. It says no plague will come near your home. No plague is going to come near my home because God is my shelter. He is my refuge. No matter what's going on around me, no matter if plague and divorce and everything else is overtaking every other house on my block, it's not going to get me because God is my shelter and I have that peace within me. Verse 11, it says, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Everywhere you go, the angels of God are right there. And I mean, we've heard some of that tonight, that testimony Elise told and Leanne told. I mean, what, what testimonies are that? I believe Elise's is more to do with the Holy Spirit probably than anything warning her. But at the same time, man, the peace of God that we can have, knowing that he is with us, man, this plague, this evil, it's not going to conquer me. The angels of God protect me everywhere I go. But listen, this, did you notice there that it said, if you make the most high your shelter, if you'll make the Lord your refuge. This doesn't just happen because you say you're a Christian. It happens if you draw nigh to God and you get as closer you get to God, the more protection there is. And I like to think of it this way. God's standing there and he's got this great big umbrella. All right. And a lot of Christians, they're Christians. All right. But they come way over here. They stand outside of the umbrella of protection. They're getting poured on and they're saying, man, what's the problem? Where's God? Listen, the protections over here. If you're right up underneath the shelter. But a lot of people, they want the blessings of God, but they don't want to stay under the shelter. They want to go out there and do it their own way and wonder why they're getting poured on and stormed on and rained on and puked on and everything else. Listen. 
It's because you're standing out from underneath the protection. You get up close to the Most High. I mean, you hug the Almighty. You stay as close as you can under that protection. It may be raining and storming all around, but you're underneath the shelter and it's not even touching you. You're not getting a single drop on you because you're close to the Almighty. And that's what we need to be. So if you'll make God your refuge, you get these blessings. And the third thing we're going to say tonight is this. Faith is full of peace, number three, because it knows the end result. Faith knows the end of the story. You know, sometimes, you know, have you ever, have you ever read a book and, you, just, you know, you just want to see finally what happens at the end. So you'll flip to the end of the story. You just want to see what happens. And you're like, oh, OK, wow, they, they make it away from the bear and the raging train and the, and the, the fire. And, OK, it's, it's good. All right. They won. And, but listen, oh. I've read the end of this book and it says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's a day coming when it says they're going to throw Satan into that bottomless pit where he's going to be locked up forever and ever and ever and ever. When we get to heaven, it says there will be no more, no more pain, no more tears. It says God will wipe every tear from our eyes. That day is coming. But I want to show you a verse here. I know the end result. I want to show you Romans 8:28. Go back to Romans 8. I promise we're going to get back to David. But Romans 8, verse 28. And this is another great verse out of Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28. I remember uh, reading how the the pilgrims, when they came over, you know, to, to America, this is a verse that they stood on because obviously they were in a pretty bad situation. We won't go into all that history, but they're in a bad situation. And so they got a verse to stand on, and it was Romans 8, 28. But it says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I'm going to read that again. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And so, man, God causes everything to work together for our good. You know, again, you know, David could have looked at this and said, oh, no, a giant. But man, God caused this situation to turn out really, really good. And because they beat a giant, everybody was afraid of them after this. But God caused a bad situation to turn around into something really, really good. And so, listen, when you know God's on your side... You can step out. You can take some risk, as the world would say. You can do do things that everybody else say, man, that's foolish. You shouldn't do that. But if God's telling you to do it and you know it's in his word, you can step out and do it. Everybody else looking at David was like, man, this kid's a fool. This is nuts. I don't want to go out there and have to scrape him up off the ground. You know, everybody get ready. Get the shovels. We're going to go dig David a grave. They probably had his grave halfway dug before he even stepped foot on the battlefield. Because everybody around there, they did not think that David could do it. But David knew that he could do it. And it's not much of a gamble to do something that God's telling you to do. Listen, everybody else may think this is a big gamble. Everybody else may think you're taking a chance. You're not taking a chance at all. Taking a chance is disobeying what God said to do. That's nuts. You're a fool. If you're going to disobey and, you know, and, and even though it looks like the safe thing, if God says to step out there and fight the giant, but you say, no, I'm just going to 
kind of try to fly under the radar and slip in with everybody else over here. That is nuts. That's the most dangerous place in the world you could be. The safest place is to be out there fighting the giant if it's what God told you to do. And so David was like, man, this isn't a gamble. This isn't a risk. This is in the bag, man. Everybody, quit digging the grave and get over there and get the Gatorade jug. Get ready to pour the Gatorade on my head when I come back with this giant's head because I'm winning this battle and I'm going to celebrate, man. Kill the fatted calf. Let's do this thing. Come on. They're ready for a party. And so 1 Samuel 17, let's finally get back there. 1 Samuel 17, when you're serving God, when you're doing what God says to do, you're not taking a risk. You're, you're playing it safe, man. You're doing exactly what you should be doing. 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. We're going to see David get out there and, and get to the action here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. So Goliath's out there talking a bunch of smack to David. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to feed you to the birds, blah, blah, blah. Verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's like, I'm coming to you in the name of God, and he ain't happy with you, Hoss. You've been making fun of him. He he is mad at you. You better look out, man. You get one last chance. And so here he is. He, I mean, he's just he is not afraid of Goliath one bit. Goliath talks some trash. David comes right back at him and says, You are getting ready to die. Verse 46, he says, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David had a plan here. He wasn't just going to kill Goliath. He was going to go kill his little buddies. And he, he, he wasn't going to keep this a secret. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to just take it back and say, okay, Israel, we want a battle. He wanted everybody in the world to know about the beating that took place that day because he knew it would prove that there's a God in his life and a God in Israel. And when you beat your giant, man, that is proof to the world around you that God is real. When they see you come back in victory, when they see you return from the battlefield holding the giant's head... Figuratively speaking here, when they see you come back from the battlefield and you've won this war, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, there is a God and his God is real. That man, that is oh the testimonies, the the power of testimonies. When we when we have guts enough to fight the battle, there is such power and testimonies. I can't tell you because I beat cancer, you know, through God. You know, when I had leukemia, because of that, I can't tell you how many people we've been able to talk to about that testimony. And people say, wow, that's God. That that is absolutely God. God did that. And I'm telling you, I'm glad that my parents stood up to the giant. I'm glad they did it God's way. I'm glad they stood up and didn't run like everybody else did. I am so glad that they stood up and that I'm alive today because they fought the giant. Amen. And because of that. People know there is a God in the Samples family. There is a God. Verse 47. And David continues the trash talk, which is great. He says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Say it with me. The Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. God doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. I don't need God to come down with a bazooka or, a, you know, a, you know, whatever. I don't need him to come down with a, a you know, a fighter jet. That, 
I don't need that. God doesn't need those things to rescue his people. He doesn't do it with a sword and a spear or with guns. This is the Lord's battle and he's going to give you to us. I think the King James says the battle is the Lord's. And that's that's what you got to have, man. You've got to have that attitude. And if you'll if you'll be able to say what David said, listen, God rescues me, not with a sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's. God's going to do it his way. That'll give you the peace of God. When you quit trying to figure all this out, when you quit trying to figure out how God's going to do it and just shut up and say, man, I don't care how he does it. I just know he's going to do it. You can have some peace. You can have some joy. You can have that good feeling that God wants you to have if you'll just quit trying to figure it out. Because I'll be honest, I don't understand everything about God. There's a lot that I don't understand about God, but that's the, that's the good news. Because if God was able to be figured out by human mind, if God was able to be understood by human intelligence, he wouldn't be that big and that great. God is beyond my comprehension. There's a whole lot that I don't understand. I don't comprehend, but I'm okay with that. I just know that God is good. He loves me. He's on my side and the battle is the Lord's. It's not my, it's not my battle to win. The battle is the Lord's. And that's the attitude that David had. And so David, he's out there just throwing stuff at the enemy. And man, sometimes the devil come in and try to start throwing these thoughts in your mind. What if this happens? What if it doesn't work? What if they do this to you? What if this happens? What if they say this? What if that? What if this? And you know what you need to say? You need to answer back with the word of God. Don't just sit there and take it and say, oh man, that would really stink. Golly gee, leave me alone. Don't be like that, man. Get out there and find say, no, I'm going to cut your head off. Then I'm going to chase your buddies down. I'm going to cut their heads off. We're going to tell the whole world that we beat you up. And everyone's going to know that there is a God in Barstow. There is a God in my life and God is real. And so David's out there. He, he's, he's like, man, you may be bigger than me, but you're not bigger than God. Look at verse 48. Verse 48. And so David's getting ready to go. Verse 48 says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. And as I've said before, I like that David didn't just sneak up there or walk really shyly. David ran to the giant. He this was the moment he'd been waiting for for years. He really bad wanted to fight this giant. Nobody pushed him into it. Nobody had to encourage him and say, come on, David, you can do it. Because nobody was on his side. Everybody said, you can't do this. You're a nut. You're a fool. You were going to die. It's going to be ugly. And sometimes they're like, man, I just wish someone encouraged me. Well, maybe no one's on your side, but God is. And because of that, you can say, man, I don't care what anybody else says. I want this giant. I want this fight. I'm going to beat this thing. And so David runs out there, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out his stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Boom. I mean, talk about a God guided that. David had good aim, but I think God really just guided that rock. Boom, direct hit right in the forehead. He stumbles, crash, nine feet straight down, man, straight down to the ground. And look at this. Look at the next verse here. I love this. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone because he didn't have a sword. He didn't even have a sword. Verse 51, it's not on the screen. I'm going to read it. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. How do you like that? 
he killed him and he cut his he cut his head off with his own sword. I love that. And imagine how big that sword was. David was probably like using everything he's got to trying to chop this thing off, but he cut his head off with Goliath's sword, and he got the last laugh, he got the last word, then the whole, and of course, after he did this, all the rest of the troops, they're like stunned. Charge! Then they all they all run and chase the enemy. We knew you could do it! Yes! There is a God in Israel! And I'm, you know, like, all right, fine. Yeah, come join me now. David was ready to take on the whole Philistine army by himself. They were running because their only defense was the tall guy. But now that the tall guy was out of the way, they were hopeless. And boom, they chased them down. They won. And as you know, it was a, it was a happy day and they all lived happily ever after. But what I'm telling you this right now is this, is that when you know the end result of your battle, you can have the peace of God. There's nothing better than having the peace of God in your life. Everyone else was shocked that David won. David was not surprised. He wasn't shocked. He knew what was going to happen. He he knew that he was going to win. He didn't say, God, it worked. Oh my gosh, all right. No, he knew that he was going to win this battle and he had the peace of God because of it. And so the last thing I want to say is that in closing things down here is that God not only wants to get you through the battle, but he wants you to have peace in the middle of the fight. God, you're going to win the battle if you do it God's way. God not only wants to get you through the battle, but he wants you to have peace throughout the battle and throughout the fight. And if you'll stick close to him, Psalm 91, if you'll make him your shelter, if you'll make him your refuge, man, no evil will come near you. No plague, no disease, no nothing is going to conquer you if you'll make him your shelter, you'll have the peace of God and you're going to conquer everything that comes against you because faith is full of peace. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand up tonight. Hallelujah.